Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Okay, uh, thanks, Dennis, and good morning, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Bill. I am a uh, grateful recovering sex and lustaholic. Um, I am so far uh, sober today, and through the graces program, uh, one day at a time, my sobriety day remains March 10, uh, 2014. Um, so first, I'd like to thank uh, the Ontario and the California essay groups for putting on the conference and, and asking me to participate. I do feel blessed and grateful to be here. And obviously, Ontario won the coin flip because it must be like two o'clock in the morning on the West Coast. So uh, good, good work on that, Dennis. Um, so just to level set the kind of guy I am, uh, just to dispel any kind of uh, expectation. I was really excited when Dennis reached out to me. Um, and then he said, hey, have I taken the slot before lunch? And I'm like, oh, man, that's like the worst spot ever because everyone wants to be at lunch. No one's going to be paying attention. And then he calls me back and says, well, how about doing 9 a.m.? I said, well, can I get the 11 o'clock slot back? So I just got to remember that I need everyone to pray for me because I have a tendency of easing God out, uh, E-G-O. And uh, I really just want to make this like the previous speaker, just an opportunity to spare, uh, share some experience, strength and hope and, and hopefully be a mechanism for recovery for everyone around me. So I really am thankful to be here today and I really appreciate the opportunity. I absolutely love the topic of Mayday, 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 uh, and the underlying theme of gift of desperation. Um, if you look at the flyer, which is really well done, there's a picture of an airplane about to crash into the ground. Um, and if you zoom in on the cockpit, you can see me waving and smiling. Um, that was me for nearly 50 years. Um, as I thought about what I'd share today, I, I felt a lot of irony uh, in my own recovery, because thankfully, my gift of desperation today is probably as strong as it's ever been, uh, and certainly much better than where it's been when I first joined the program. So I thought I'd break my comments into four parts. If you seem looking down, I've just made some notes. Um, I want to talk about the topic itself for a moment. I want to run you through what it took um, for me to reach my ultimate point of, of desperation I thought I'd spend a little time talking about what I do now to maintain my spiritual fitness uh, one day at a time, and then sort of conclude uh, with what my life is like a, a little bit today. Uh, and then, as Dennis mentioned, I'm, I'm happy to take any questions and, and share what I can. Um, I didn't time myself on this, and hopefully I'll stick within the 25, 30 minutes, so I'll finish up uh, hopefully on time. Um, I actually uh, looked up uh, the term gift of desperation. First, I looked for it in the AA Big Book, and then I went through the SA White Book. And there's, I think, two references in the AA Big Book and four in the White Book. Uh, so I went for another reading, and I found, I came across this really good uh, definition, and it had it best. It's, it's the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And further, you feel completely empty when come to realize that our current way of living no longer works and can't stop even if wanted to. And that reminded me of the problem reading from the white book on page two or three, uh, the quote of only way to be free of it uh, was to do it. Then I looked up the word demoralization, and that is to cause to turn aside or away from what is good or true or morally right. And then the related definition is upset or destroy normal function, throw into disorder. So I think those definitions really summed up where I was on March 10, 2014, uh, when I walked into my first essay meeting in uh, at the time, New York City, uh, my entire operating system was broken. All my moral, emotional, physical, sexual, spiritual, and personal relations subroutines were compromised. It was a total and epic system fail. Uh, my life had become completely unmanageable. Uh, I was unhinged on every aspect of my life. I really had at that point nowhere else to turn. 
and I was truly fighting for my life and salvation at the time. Uh, so that's sort of my thought on the topic. So when I was asked to speak on it, I, I was really uh, thankful for that. Um, so I want to sort of now sort of transition into um, uh, the next part. And I want to talk a little about um, some of my acting out. Um, I don't mean this to be triggering or titillating in any way, uh, but it's helpful for me to hear it again um, and just to re recall the progressiveness, the unmanageability and the powerlessness because I have seven years of recovery and my, my brain is like a goldfish. My mind is like a goldfish. Um, I, I forget from one side of the bowl to the other of what I'm capable of. And I just want to read a quote out of the AA Big Book that I think helps summarize this for me. It's on page 82. And this is sort of part of the ninth step discussion. The alcoholic or the sex hawk is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He's like the farmer who came out of the cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? And then the top of the page, yes, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead. Um, so um, uh, for me, I have to remember, and I can't forget, the wake of destruction that I'm capable of. Uh, when I take the 20 questions on page eight of the white book, um, I check off 19 out of 20 in the affirmative. I don't know if that's a good score. It feels like a really bad score uh, to me, but I know every time I take that test that I deserve and earn to be in this seat uh, one day at a time. Um, so I'm going to talk about a few things now that are a little explicit. So I apologize in advance if this is um, uh, triggering anybody. So I just want to talk about these are things as I was just thinking about today, just they were coming to me as I was thinking about some of my things I did not want to share that I don't like to share because I still think that there's probably some shame. And I'll come back to an acronym I've come up with uh, that helps me with this. But I remember um, getting my first experience with chat lines many years ago. I would be exhausted from being online for hours and racking up untold and huge phone bills, but I still was not desperate enough to find recovery. I started with female, I transitioned into men on the telephone line, and then I transitioned into transgender on the phone line. And you'll see that's a recurring theme as I talk a little bit more. I remember being in a porn theater in Midtown Manhattan and seeing my boss across the way in another booth and that feeling of panic setting in and paralyzation, not knowing how I was going to extradite myself from that location. And even that was not enough desperation for me to find a recovery. On November 22nd, 2002, I was walked into a windowless office at my place of employment. And I was asked to I answer five questions about why I was using my work email to try and hire a prostitute. I was then told to go home. And when I got home, I was fired for cause for violating the firm's email policy, lost all my benefits, all my equity in the company that I had amassed, and then having to tell my wife what had happened. And that was still not enough uh, desperation for me uh, to, to give up. I remember being in another porn theater uh, where the booths uh, are, you know, there's these small little cracks in them from one side to the other. And I was having unprotected sex with other men squatting amidst and in all kinds of fluids and just detritus that is so nauseating to think of today. But even that was not enough for me to find that point of desperation. I had, an I had multiple affairs, but I had an affair with a former coworker who I did not like when I was working with her. But she accidentally, I bumped into her one day in the city where I worked. Um, and by the way, when I bumped into her, I was just finished acting out with a man. And she professed to me that she loved me. And I then had an affair with her. Um, and that affair lasted between the birth of my first son and the birth of my daughter. Um, that was about a two-year thing. And even that was not enough uh, desperation. Um, 
at that point, I was starting to feel something was wrong. Um, but I just didn't really know how to deal with it. And I was unable to stop at that point in time. I started crossing more moral and physical boundaries that were imaginable. Um, I remember one time acting out with a prostitute um, and then driving home through the suburban streets where I live at about 100 miles an hour in my minivan. Now, the minivan handled pretty nicely, I have to say, but 100 miles an hour in rage, screaming at the top of my lungs, really at myself and putting all kinds of people in danger and myself in danger. And still, that was not completely demoralizing enough. I started transitioning along the way uh, from female to male to transgender. I wasn't sure if I was gay bisexual, trisexual, you know, today there's so many different terms, you know, pansexual, what have you. Um, I was completely lost in my sexuality. Um, I started to try therapy, but I wasn't honest in any way. And I wasted a lot of money and everyone's time. And I still was not desperate enough uh, to find recovery. I recall walking into a transgender prostitute, prostitute excuse me, uh, just as another guy was walking out. And I started to say, well, I'm going to be the right person for this prostitute. This is going to be my life. I am going to save this individual. And yet I was still not desperate enough. I then started to Google how to kill myself. Um, while I remember this day very vividly, while my family, which was my wife, my two children, my sister, my in-laws who were alive at the time, and my four or five cousins that we have were downstairs in our house during one holiday season. And I still was not desperate enough. I would drive in my car on many nights um, and days for hours looking for more and more risky locations and doing all kinds of crazy things. I remember one time I pulled into a, like a retirement community and there was a security booth. I rolled down my window and asked the security guard if he would like to have sex. And he's like, get the F out of here. Um, um, I'm now 56 and some change. I joined this program in 2014. Um, I think if I can call with some, some precision, I probably started acting out um, at the age of seven. So I'm not particularly good with numbers, but 56 minus seven is 49. If you back out the seven years of recovery, that's 40, at the age of seven, I mean, that's 42 years of acting out, four plus decades of progressive destruction, complete bankruptcy, and that abject demoralization as defined by the gift of desperation. I finally, finally hit my spiritual, emotional, and physical bottoms in the winter of 2014. And it happened while I was <clears throat> visiting with my chiropractor, <clears throat> who I'd known for a really long period of time. And I had a troubled, troubled back, um, which is a story for another day. Um, but he was really working on me, getting in there and doing his thing. And I just started to cry. And I cried and I wept. I mean, I wept uncontrollably nonstop for an hour. My whole body was saturated. My clothes were completely wet. I couldn't catch my breath. I just cried. And I, he knew vaguely what was going on. And thankfully, he, would just, he just let me cry for the entire time. I think it was about an hour. I just cried. It was at that very moment that point of crystallization that I received the gift of desperation. That is when I started to understand that I'd become powerless, that I had started to surrender to my prior way of living, where my prior way of living was every waking moment of my day, every second, every nanosecond was spent in either acting out, trying to act out, covering up the acting out, or trying to stop, which I did hundreds of thousands of times. Um, I traveled a lot for business. I just want to add this one in as well as a point of insanity. 
I would travel anywhere between one to five days a week. It would be domestically in the United States or uh, to different continents. I did a lot of travel to Europe and to Asia. Um, and it would, my day would go like this. I would arrive at the location. I would do my business. I'd get to my hotel about nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. I would then proceed to act out till about 10 uh, five o'clock in the morning. If I was lucky, I would get an hour of sleep, shower, go on to my next day. And I would do that pattern, whether it be one day, five days, um, just complete insanity and pushing myself into more and more um, uh, desperate situations. Okay, so now I want to talk a little bit about what I do now to keep that desperation, that gift of desperation paramount uh, in my life. Um, I go to a ton of meetings. Um, it's obviously a lot easier now with Zoom than in, than uh, prior to Zoom. For me, um, and obviously it's different for everybody, but for among us people, what works for me, um, I need four to five meetings per week at least. Uh, any fewer, and I start to forget that I'm a sexaholic, and my carriage defects are usually the first order what start to kick in a little bit. Um, things like resentment, fear, anxiety, low self-esteem. Um, I love newcomer meetings. That was not always the case. When I first joined the group, I was really judgmental of the chronic relapses. Um, how come they can't get this? You know, now, thank, thanks to my higher power, I recognize that that is my higher power showing me that gift of desperation and what it's like to do that refresh and that reboot and that memory of what's unmanageable. Um, I pray a lot um, and and not just when I need my higher power, not in those periods of acute crises and so forth. I try and I try and really make it a structural part of my day. Now, when I came into the program, I had no spiritual religious foundation and praying was like an anathema to me. I just couldn't easily get it. Now it's a critical component um, of my recovery. I try to pray when I first wake up. Um, and before I get even get out of bed, I usually do the serenity prayer, uh, the third step prayer. Um, I pray for others. And then I pray to my higher power and I ask him to protect me from me. And I've alphabetized my character defects because I'm a little like that. Um, and I ask him to, to um, protect me from arrogance, belligerence, craziness, depression, ego, envy, fear false pride, greed, hostility, isolation, jealousy, lust, manic thinking, negativity and narcissism, oogling, petulance, rage and resentment, selfishness, self-centeredness, self-seeking, self-pity, temperamentalism, toxicity, unnecessary drama, voyeurism and, and vexation. Um, I'm sure there's more. But that's what I do on a daily basis, because that's been my cocktail uh, for a lot of my life. <clears throat> and as I said, then I pray for others. And I'm really big in using, for me, the fourth step prayer around that pity, tolerance, and patience. I find it to be exceptionally helpful for me. Um, I work with a sponsor. I was not, and I am still not, the best sponsee. But I listen. I spend less time talking and more time listening. Um, and I wanted what he had. Um, I became willing to do whatever he suggested. Not at the beginning, but over time. I started working the program, not Bill Kay's program. Um, no questions asked. I had surrendered. Um, I had to get on a train to a subway, to a 15-minute walk, to my sponsor's house every Saturday for a year. And I did it every Saturday. And God bless my wife for letting me do it. And I did it without fail. Um, and I'm thankful that I was able to do it. Um, I've worked the steps. I continue to work the steps. Um, not perfectly, um, but hopefully thoroughly. Um, for me, step one and step four were very big pivot points. Um, and now I digitally, digitally work, um, diligently, excuse me, work steps 10 through 12. I think I'm getting a little bit better at step 11 because uh, step 11 is not just prayer. It's prayer and meditation. I'm working on the meditation. I do it not as well as I should. And when I do it, I feel better. Yet I don't do it enough, but I, I just I am working on that. Um, I do a lot of service now. 
Um, I've chaired meetings. I'm not chairing anything this particular quarter. Uh, I'm a member of Intergroup. Um, I'm asked to speak uh, like today. I'm fortunate enough to do it. I love to do it. I'm, I'm thankful to be asked. Um, I try call into a daily spiritual renewal um, or what's known as a DSR. Uh, there are six questions that we ask. Um, and question number six uh, is, are you now willing to turn the will and care of your life over to your God as you understand him, recognizing that it's not this renewal, but God that keeps you sober? And my response is always the same, that yes, I am willing to turn the will and care of my life to my higher powers. I understand them. Because whenever I reassert my ego and ease God out, bad things follow. I used to say bad things usually follow, but that was too soft. Bad things always follow when I reassert my ego. And for today, I really seek out the gift of desperation, G-O-D, as well as good orderly direction. And that's been very helpful uh, to me. Um, um, and other things I do is I am a sponsor. Uh, I sponsor a, a few folks. Um, I, I think I'm getting a little better at it. Um, I really have to pray for the, my first set of sponsees. I did more harm than good uh, with them. Um, but yesterday I, I did a wonderful 12-step uh, session uh, with a sponsee uh, who's been a fabulous sponsee and is very inspiring. I just want to read something from uh, the big book on page 89 that I, I think helps me sum up uh, on that. Um, and it's really the first paragraph of Working with Others, Chapter 7. It goes, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking, well, I'm just going to substitute sexualism, as intensive work with other alcoholics or sex hogs. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they're never ill. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, and to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. You will, will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the sprite, uh, bright spot of our lives. And that's really true for me. I get a tremendous amount of, it's not self-satisfaction, it's not pride, it's not ego, it's joy of seeing others deepen their recovery uh, around me. Um, I also try and read some literature every day. Uh, I've been getting a habit of leaving it next to my bed. Um, my sponsor joked with me in the beginning, like, how do you hide something from an alcoholic? And I said, how? And he goes, you put it in the big book. And I got to remember that there's a lot of wisdom in the books, but there's no osmosis uh, with this program. I actually have to read the books. I've been spending a lot of time in The Real Connection um, and in the Step Into Action book as a supplement to the AA Big Book. Um, I like the white book, but I find the AA Big Book and the Step Into Action, Real Connection for me uh, are great books, as well as Recovery Continues. I love that book. I love them all um, as well. Um, I spend a lot of telephone uh, time on the telephone with others in program, not just sponsees, but others. I got over 100 people on my call list. I, I try and call people. I'm not perfect with it, um, but I do try and make a lot of calls. I find just getting out of my head uh, to be a great thing to do. Um, <clears throat> I have taken on a lot of new hobbies, a lot of healthier hobbies. Um, I've gotten into yoga, which has been a parallel recovery for me. Um, I do a lot of gardening. Uh, being outside in nature, I find that to just really right-size me a little bit and really helps me move with humility. Um, I've taken the time to write a few articles for the Essay Magazine. I find that that's really helpful for me when I sort of journal and do things like that. And then I conclude my day with the same set of prayers that I started my day, asking and thanking my higher power for protecting me really from the insanity of my addiction one day at a time, one moment at a time, and to focus on uh, the next right decision. I just want to focus on a few things that, a um, few acronyms that help me. As many of you know, I'm a big acronym guy. Um, um, the KISS method, keep it simple because I am very stupid. Uh, I think I've come up with this one on my own. I call it the GASH principle. Uh, G stands for gratitude, and that's an offset to my rage and resentment. Uh, acceptance, which is an offset to my control issues. Uh, surrender, which is an offset to my uh, ego. And humility. Uh, which is an offset uh, to my humiliation that I've been living in uh, for many years. Uh, I've started doing a weekly gratitude list. Uh, some in this room get that list, and I'm thankful that they do. And I'm grateful that I see others now starting a list and sending it around uh, as well. 
Um, here's one's a little crass, but it's WTFWIT. Since it's being recorded, I won't say the actual word for F, but what the flagnards was I thinking? And that helps me pierce the veil of euphoric recall. Um, and shame is should have already mastered everything, which allows me to work on God's time uh, and not on my time. And ODAT, uh, it took me a long time to understand what, what is ODAT? Uh, well, one day at a time, it's like, duh. But that really helps me simplify uh, my life. Um, um, also, I have zero tolerance for secrets now. Um, I can't let it sit in my head at all. I need to bring it to light immediately. If I don't, then it's like the guy in the cockpit. I'm the guy waving just before the point of impact. So let me finish up um, uh, with what my life is like today. Um, it's much simpler. As the AA Big Book talks about, my life has become happier, more joyous, and far freer. Um, I have a tremendous connection with a higher power, which I did not have before I came in here. Um, I have connection with others. I actually think about other people. I don't, I now realize it's not a billow centric world. It took me a long time to get there. Um, my character defects are more in check. They'll never be gone, but I have a better operating system now, uh, to work on them. I spend most of my day in some kind of form of recovery. Uh, thankfully, I'd like to think I'm less toxic, more patient, a little bit less rigid, a little bit more laughter, um, a little bit less judgmental, more empathic. Uh, my wife says I got a long way to go, uh, so I'll take her word for that. But I think I'm uh, moving in the right direction. I have no secrets. There are no lies. There's no scheming going on in my life. I'm done with the gaslighting. My phone can sit out uh, for anyone to look at. My computer can stay on. Anyone can look at. There's nothing here that anyone's going to find that's going to be untoward in any way. Um, if I'm not working recovery and I'm not working, my wife's like, you've got to retire because all you do is spend your time in recovery. Uh, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm doing some yoga. I'm getting some exercise. Um, I'm trying to get inside nature. I'm, like I said, I've spent time with sponsees. And really just trying to keep myself sober one day at a time and then that connection, uh, connection, my higher power. So with that, I think that's about 30 minutes. Um, I just want to thank the group again for, for asking me to speak and, and your patience and letting me share this morning. Uh, hopefully you get something out of it. Um, I really appreciate being here this morning. Again, my name is Bill Kay. I am a recovering sex and lust one day at a time. Thank you, Bill. Uh, that's the third time I've heard you speak and there's some new stuff in there and uh, I just love it. Uh, the gift of desperation, man. What a, what a fantastic uh, story. And thank you so much for your honesty and sharing that story. So, all right, we will now start the question and answer part of our program. Uh, one question per person, please. The goal is to finish uh, 55 minutes uh, to the hour. A few reminders in participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing, how to apply the 12 steps and 12 traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please. Crosstalk means interrupting, giving advice, or criticizing another person's share. If someone feels another is getting too explicit, uh, just please contact myself directly. Um, please unmute yourself before asking your question. All right. I see that uh, Dennis F. with to no surprise is up for the first question here. <laughs> Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are, everyone. Thanks, Bill, so much for that. Um, I have a question for you. After being in the program and being sober since 2014, how do you keep your program fresh these days? What are you doing differently, if anything? How do you keep it fresh? Uh, thank you, Dennis, for that. Uh, thanks for coming on this morning. I appreciate your friendship and fellowship for sure. Um, that's a great question because there's no question that for me, um, my recovery is not linear. Um, there are definitely spurts of growth and points of, I don't want to use the word relapse, but slippage in terms of that spiritual connection. Um, so I try and view my recovery like a newcomer. Um, I always ask my potential sponsees of what are you willing to do? 
And I started asking myself that same question. What am I willing to do? So, for instance, um, I recently uh, concluded a 90 days um, of meetings, uh, 90 meetings in 90 days. I hadn't done that since my first year in recovery. And when I asked my sponsees to do that, um, I figured, you know, it's only right that I do that. Um, It's obviously a lot easier today on Zoom and the WhatsApp of, you know, the what's next meeting. It couldn't be easier. It's 24-7. Um, so that's one thing I've done. Um, I'm working the steps again. Um, you know, there's no graduation. I thought I was going to get a diploma or gift, you know, some kind of certificate, maybe a little present by my sponsor at the end of that. And he said, no, we're just going to go back to page one and, and, and do it all over again. And I get to work it twice. I get to work it on my own, which I'm doing. Um, and I get to work with all my different sponsees. And I've, I've expanded my uh, tool book, uh, tool belt. And like I said, I'm using the real, I'm using the step into action book. Uh, I've been fortunate enough that my sponsor used the AA big book process with me to do the steps. And I've been using that with my sponsees. But then I started using, I started listening and hearing all these wonderful readings on the step into action. And I've been using that. There's a lot of really good stories, member shares in there, questions, uh, other readings in there. Um, I've taken on some new sponsees, um, which is always helpful just to get into that memory of what it's like to come in with that abject demoralization, uh, if you will. Um, and I just continue to expand uh, my phone network. Uh, I try to go to different meetings and not get caught in the rut of just going to the same meeting. Nothing wrong with the home group, but I've gone to meetings all over the world now through the grace of Zoom. Uh, and that's been super helpful to meet other people, hear the message again, with different accents, but sort of the same message at the end of the day. Um, and I keep asking my sponsor, what else? And then, you know, I, I fear that a little bit because I don't really want a lot of extra work, but, he, you know, it's good. So those are some of the things I do. Uh, like I said, I've also started to write, try and write for Essay Magazine. Um, that's helpful to me to really deep deeper into my recovery. And like I said, the meditation is something that I'm really trying to step up within my own practice. I always feel better after I do it. And yet the stubbornness in me the addict in me, I don't do it on a regular basis, but I'm trying to get better at that. So hopefully those are a few few pointers that help me, you know, keep it fresh. Thanks, Bill. Thank, thank Thanks, you for Dennis. Okay, Marcus B, you're up, brother. Thanks, Dennis. Love you, brother. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for your share, brother. And I, I think you forgot to mention your weekly subscription of gratitude uh, list that you send out messaging and data rate supply. Um, I do want to ask you a question in regards to your first set of sponsees. You, you mentioned that uh, they were some great experiments for you and you made some, uh, <laughs> some good moves and bad moves. Can you just share your experience, strength and hope on what you believe you, you do better now than you did then with sponsees? Uh, yes. Uh, thanks, Marcus. And by the way, I've trademarked the word gratitudinal. So if you use it, you do need to Venmo, you know, a couple pennies. Um, it adds up. Um, <clears throat> so um, let me, let me talk about what didn't work, and then I'll talk about what does work, if that's okay. What didn't work was having a very high level of expectation and judgment for the sponsee. Uh, what didn't work was being demanding of the sponsee and critical, just complete failure of what the big book uh, and the white book talk about, um, and working the recovery for him uh, and chasing him in his recovery um, and not leaning into my sponsor when I ran into a problem that I couldn't figure out how to help with and going off book by looking uh, away, not using the AA big book or the white book or any of the other reading materials and just freelancing. And that all ended catastrophically for a number of sponsees. And I do feel very bad. And I've made amends to, to the ones I can find. Um, so what works for me now is I only have one criteria, which my sponsor, I got to thank him, uh, really instilled in me willingness is the sponsee willing to work the recovery above everything and anything else. Now, within that, I've gotten better of who I take on. While I want to take on people, I will not take on anyone who I don't think has that urgency to go through a brick wall for recovery. He is not ready. And as the big book talks, my time might be better served elsewhere. That's not meant in an arrogant way. 
it's meant in a way that I can fulfill my ultimate service uh, and duty as, as someone in recovery. Um, I am no longer judgmental. I don't judge anyone on the number of times that they fall. I'm more inspired by the number of times somebody's willing um, to uh, dust himself off a little bit. I was completely bamboozled by one of my sponsees who had been acting out for a year uh, before he came clean. And I, I had a little bit of a come to Jesus moment in my own recovery. Sorry to use a religious uh, phrase there um, about what I am as a sponsor. And I had to really spend time with my sponsor on that. And that's when I got to that point of willingness. It's no longer about truthfulness because addicts lie. I lie. You know, it's no longer about saying they're going to do this or that. Um, and, you know, calling in this number of times and checking in this number of times. It's are you willing to put sobriety above everything else? Um, I work the steps better with the sponsees now in a more formalized way. Um, and I no longer am their, their, their attendance monitor. You know, they, I don't chase them. You know, we have some ground rules in the beginning, which change over time about check-ins and so forth and so on. And if they don't call me, I don't call them. And I've been able to let go of having to cure them or save them. And that's probably been the biggest sort of point of freedom and shift away from that enabling dynamic a little bit. And I have to thank my sponsor because he did that with me and it was a tough transition, but what a point of growth. Anyway, I hope that's helpful. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Bill. I'm going to jump in with a question, actually. Uh, Bill, I know, I know you, and, you and I have uh, chatted about service work in the past, and I did hear you mention uh, that you, you, and I know that you do a lot of service work. Um, so one of the things that I struggle with is the, the balance. When do you come to terms with knowing when uh, it's, it's too much? Because I sometimes have this fear that if I let go of some service work, and I'm sure it's ego, I have a fear of when I let go of service work that, oh my goodness, I'm going to, I'm going to lose my recovery. So how do you manage that balance? And I, and I do know uh, what you pass on to sponsees as well with service work. So I don't know if you can elaborate on that at all. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Des. Thank you again. Thanks for asking me to speak today. Um, and to Marcus as well and everyone on his, on his side. Um, so um, that, that's been a, a painful lesson uh, for me. Uh, unsurprisingly, I have a little bit of an addictive behavior, so I can swing from one extreme to the other. And I think at one point I was chairing like five or six meetings in the early part of, uh, of this sort of move to Zoom, uh, all kinds of days, you know, uh, 1230 meetings, 730 meetings, 10 p.m. meetings, you know, five days a week, six days a week. And, it, and I was in a group and I was sponsoring and I, I just hit this wall of fatigue. And I talked to my sponsor about it. All he said to me was, Man, I wish you didn't have so many leadership positions. That's always said to me. Just maybe start thinking about that. So a couple of things that I watch for, uh, Dennis, I watch for the ego, and I'm glad you brought that up. I got it. When I start thinking the meeting is about me, um, that's usually time to turn over the reins. When I start thinking like, oh, how many people are going to show up at the meeting? Oh, there's only 46 people at 9 o'clock on Friday, May 7th. Well, where the F is everybody? I'm Bill K. I know it's time not to speak again. Um I also think it's very healthy, and the uh, the white book talks about this. That it's really important that, and the traditions talk about this, that the meetings stand on their own. And I try not to chair a meeting in consec uh, consecutive quarters in any way or consecutive days. Like a lot of times when you get to elections, either everyone's Zoom meeting goes on blank, uh, or everyone starts looking down at their shoes, and then. But I avoid that compulsion to say, "All right, I'll take it on again." Um, and so those are some of the things I do. So I, I watch for ego. I watch for fatigue. I watch for my character defects starting to come up about control and resentment and anxiety. And when it be stops becoming a labor of love of looking for readings for the next meeting, those are all early warning signs that it's time for me to step back a little bit and let somebody else take the reins. And I had to do that with intergroup at the beginning because we just moved to Zoom in, in March of last year in a group. There was all kinds of stuff going on in our local group. And I seemed to be the only one that was uh, leading it. And it was it was exhausting. And not that I fixed anything. Actually, I didn't. I probably made it worse. But I had to let go. And you know what? I, I was better for it. I, I think the group was better for it. 
My ego was certainly better for it. And then I got refreshed and that allowed me to create space uh, to come back at another time and step in. And by the way, I'll wrap up on this on this point. Recovery for me, it can be a service can be a multitude of ways, right? It could be a conversation with someone who's not a sponsee. It could be it could be step work with a sponsee. Um, It could be doing something for the group that's not necessarily uh, the mainframe of, of, of recovery, like being a speak, uh, being a chair or something like that. It could be chasing something down. Um, so it could be small little things like that, that, that sometimes, you know, can be helpful and, and be satisfactory enough. And I just lean into the totality of my recovery so that I know that meetings in and of themselves are not what's going to keep me sober. Thank you, Bill. Very helpful. All right, Steve T, you are up. Thank you, Bill, for your uh, your talk. I really appreciate it and always do. I'm a, I'm a sexaholic. Bill, I have a question. Um, when you feel stuck or when you feel like you're in um, a box that's getting um, unpenetrable, what, what, kind, what are the, some of the things you do to break out? Thanks for the question, Steve. Good to see you. Um, that's a great question. Um, so let me share about like, that in my recovery and then i'll answer how i get there so what i've been when i first came into recovery all those points of stuckness the the duration of that insanity or uncomfortability could be infinite and the amplitude of the emotional swings could be really really high and and low respectively um, through the grace of the program now, both the time frame and the amplitude are shrinking. So they're not perfect, but the days of insanity and working my own program uh, are less and, and they, even the intraday things are less. So when I start to struggle, one of the things I've start to understand is that I have to understand that my recovery may not be on God's time. And so I've come to better accept that. Um, I have to wait. It's not always going to be on my time because usually if I don't get the answer when I want it, as I want it, then I take my little recovery ball and I go home and resentment sits, gets, sets in, isolation sets in, and then all of a sudden everything on the street looks attractive to me. Um, so I pray for the willingness to do the next right thing. Usually it's a phone call. And usually it's a phone call to either my sponsor or to most likely another fellow in the program. And usually what I find for me is that I make two or three calls and I reiterate what's sort of stuck in my head. The answer will start to emerge uh, in those conversations. It's getting out of this little two by two cranium here as a very small little pea brain that's completely addled. That has been the salvation for me uh, along the way. And then it's, and then by just getting out of my own head, and, and asking others, hey, how your, is your day going? And not making it about me, like tip of my nose, uh, which is rather long, but nonetheless, it's just there's some kind of transition, inflection, polarity shift, energy shift that helps me get to that point of unstuckness. And let me share a good example. And I apologize for running on a little bit, but this is helpful. My wife was sick uh, last two weeks ago with a dreadful um, uh, allergy reaction. And my response was, will you stop sneezing and blowing your nose for the love of God and go to the doctor and get tested for COVID? I can't take, I can't take it anymore. So I call my sponsor up and say, how's your, oh, things are great. You know, I'm loving life recovery. He goes, how's your relationship going with your wife? I said, oh my God, it's awful. He goes, why? She's sick. I can't find the capacity to love her. He goes, why do you think that is? And I said, oh, I can't take the sneezing and the coughing and the of the voice. Uh, and he goes, have you prayed for her? And I, I said, yeah. He says, Bill, do you think that you might be a wee bit selfish on this? I go, how? Because she can't give you everything you want at the moment you want it. She can't play mommy and nurse and prostitute at the same time. I'm like, oh, my God. And then I had the shame of I'm seven years in. I should have known this. I should have been able to figure it out that I'm self-centered. I asked for it every morning to be, to be lifted of that. So I get stuck. 
And the way I get unstuck is by reaching out to others. If I try and solve it on my own, I'm doomed. And that cycle of insanity is just going to prove to be infinite. And I hope that's helpful, Steve. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Hey, Sarah, why you are up? You're on mute, Sarah. Oh, she's going to ask in the chat. Oh, for it. Perfect. Now, hold on a second. Let me open this up. I'll, I'll read it for you, Bill. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Uh, Sarah asks, how can you overcome the feeling of being in discomfort all, all the time that I am not feeling well most of the time, especially in the beginning of recovery? How to deal with that? And if this is temporary and will go with go away with time, thanks. Uh, thank you, Sarah, uh, for the question. Um, so I, I'll just share it back on sort of my experience with this. Um, when I came into the program, I was, as hopefully I came across, a completely broken person on every level. I was miserable. And I was probably miserable to be around. Probably didn't smell it as much as everyone else, but I was a complete misery. I could not see the gratitude in anything. My sponsor said, what do you have to be grateful for? And I looked at him. And again, many of you know, I send a gratitude list around weekly. I make one daily, but I send it around weekly. And I can find gratitude in the smallest of things now. I told him, I nothing. He goes, you got nothing to be grateful for? I know, I got nothing. We're sitting on a church in, in Brooklyn, uh, church steps somewhere near his house, which ironic is right near where Bill W. grew up. Um, and I said, I got nothing. Um, so um, I uh, I appreciate that feeling of misery. So for me, like what I realized in this program that the acting out was the masking agent for my lust. The lust is the masking agent for um, my character defects. And ultimately what this all is a masking agent for is that connection with my higher power, which I'm working on one day at a time. So for me, um, my life has become more joyous, more happy, more free, as the big book talks about. The nine step promises are coming true for me. I have to work for them on a day to day basis, but recovery is like a cowboy song played backwards. You know, I'm starting to get my integrity back. I'm starting to get my life back. I'm starting to get my morality back. Uh, my family loves me more. My dogs don't look at me sideways anymore. Um, I don't smell and reek of toxicity and hostility. Um, so hang in there. Um, keep going to meetings. Um, for me, that's what works. Keep sharing. Be very explicit with your sponsor in your shares. If you have a sponsor, if you don't get one uh, therapy, uh, I did go back into therapy and recovery and I was brutally honest. And that was uh, a major uh, uh, augmentation uh, compliment to my recovery. And as the white book talks about just, you know, we come, we come to, we come to believe, wait for that miracle to happen. You never know when it's going to show up. It's usually going to show up at the next meeting. Uh, keep coming back. As my sponsor says to me, and this is always wonderful the way he positions it, Bill, I don't know if you're going to stay sober in recovery, which is always an endearing thing to hear from your sponsor. But he goes, if you go back out there, it's only going to get worse. And I can prove that out for 42 years of practical field experience. So don't give up the hope. Um, keep coming. Build out your network of, 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 of friends and family in this program. Be brutally honest um, and hopefully get through the steps. Steps one, steps four, steps six are really wonderful steps. Very cathartic steps. Uh, cleans out the, the, the toxicity, at least it did for me. Um, try and be back of service. You know, trust God, clean house, be of service. That, that, that algorithm seems to work for me. Hopefully that's helpful and I, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Bill. Can I ask another question? Bill, how we hear terms in the program like uh, willingness, surrender, and things. How do you surrender? So I remember when I was doing my 90 and 90, uh, and I was sitting in, a, in, a, in an open AA meeting in Northport, New York, which is a town near me, and it was an anniversary meeting. Um, and an anniversary meeting in AA is a phenomenal, it, it, it's like a carnival, like thousands of people show up and I walked in there hostile and I'm like, you know, 
there's like three SA people in my local meeting. Like here's hundreds of people. And now I got to hear about all these anniversaries. So they do it in, in reverse order. They do like one year, three years, five years, blah, 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 blah. This guy walks up with 34 years of recovery, sobriety. And I'm going to curse. So I apologize. I know it's going to go on a recording. And someone asked him, how do you stay sober? And he says, he gets on the floor every morning. And he says, dear God, I'm fucked in the head. Quote, unquote. That's what he said. And I started to laugh because that is me. That is me. So I just try to throw my hands up, Dennis, and say, dear God, I can't do this on my own. I think the previous speaker when I joined was talking about this very concept. If I try and control anything, it's going to fail. I have to let go of that ease God out and seek that good orderly direction through prayer, meditation, and coming to understand that my recovery time is not God's recovery time. And that was a painful lesson that took me about five years of recovery to come to that level of acceptance at the end of the day. So that's how I try and do it. And God will keep putting that same test in front of me until I reach that point of surrender. You know, he'll put the good looking woman on the hiking trail with the dog over the next hill because I got to surrender that. He'll put the really attractive person on the yoga mat right next to me who says, oh, I just got divorced because my head's like, oh, well, there, that next one's going to save me. You know, I, I got to I got to surrender all that because if I don't, then that willingness goes away and the, the character defects come back in. And next thing you know, the prostitute jumped in my car. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.